My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and I, don't, I don't say this every week, and I probably should, but if you don't have a copy, the copies of the Green Book are for our members. If you don't have a copy of the Green Book, uh, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and uh, grab one there. There's one electronically available. So for those of you online, you can do that as well. And, uh, we'll go from there. So last week we left off uh, kind of in the middle of verse 19. Uh, and I, I always, I get... I feel like I bug Paul when we do this. Like, I stopped teaching what you wrote in the middle of a sentence that you had. And with Paul, it's almost impossible not to do that because the sentences are just so long. But it's even in the middle of a thought in the middle of a sentence that he had. So I, if, if you have this ugh, feeling about that, I don't know what the right word is. There's probably a word for it. Uh, dis mild distaste, we'll say that phrase, uh, about that. I have that too, I just don't know how to fix it. So it's either I teach for an hour and 20 minutes and we don't cut him off or we do this and we do. So, And I think you guys are not voting for hour and 20 minutes, so we'll go with that. Yep, I got some, some head nods. So with that, made me feel good about myself. Uh, let's read Philippians chapter 1. Uh, <laughs> there was, that's right, there's no right, there's no right answer for that. All right, so Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, 
but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whenever I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were engaged in the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I have." Philippians chapter 1. I apologize for the raspy voice. It is not due to the thing that you think it might be due to. It is not due to me yelling at the TV because Georgia so uh, thoroughly trounced Vanderbilt. (laughs) Uh, I taught a class yesterday, a six-hour class, so my voice is a bit raspy today. I apologize. But uh, Dave, if we go to the next slide, I'll give you the page numbers for where we're at today. Uh, So we are in the green book, starting off in page 70. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Specifically looking at the second half of verse 19 and all of verse 20. So, and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is, if, so any of you that, that read scripture out loud, maybe to your kids or to someone in a class, these are verses where I have to think about where I take a breath. And I, so I'm not a musician in any way, shape, or form, but I have been told that those who sing and those who play instruments that involve blowing into other things have to think about, like when you breathe, which I cannot imagine having the skill to do something with excellence where I'm performing and having to manage my voice, but like, I, I feel this, like where, do, like, where do you take a breath here? I don't know. I hadn't figured it out yet. So every time I listen to a Sunday school lesson that I teach, me reading Philippians 1, it sounds different. So, Sunday school teacher problems, right? There's a hashtag for that, I bet. So, all right. So we're going to pick up right after uh, where we started with this word prayers, where we left off last week. Uh, Let's just go to the next slide, Dave. So this, uh, on on page 70, prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So a couple of interesting things about this. Uh, Paul does some stuff with the grammar here that, that should cause us to lean into this uh, combined idea of prayer and help. Uh, he doesn't, the, the, grammatically he's not prioritizing one over the other, but there is a single preposition and a single article that introduce both of these nouns. So you can think about these concepts as kind of fused together. And usually in Greek, what'll happen here is that you'll just take the one word and the other word and smash them together and they make a new Greek word. And it's like, well, that's how you make compound words in Greek. Kind of similar thing in English. You just smash them together and made a new word. There you go. The problem is help from the spirit of Jesus Christ is like 
the compound word would be nine words, right? It's just, it's too much to smash together. So in English, we split it apart, and he did as well in Greek, but uh, I got a quote here from Hansen to start. Uh, so he talks about the deliverance Paul has in mind is accomplished through the combined powers of prayers of his friends and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ. So what I, what I don't want us to get from this is that, that, um, that we can save somebody else, right? So let's make sure we're really clear about what Paul is not saying. What Paul is saying is that we get to partner in the work that God is doing which is just, you know, it, he picked us to partner with him, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but on the, and we'll go to the next slide here in just a second. But uh, on the playground of life, when God was picking his team, he was like, I want Colleen. Awesome. And I want Bruce. And I want the whole barber clan, right? Just like, give me all of them. Everyone, it's fantastic. And, right? I, I will tell you, I was um, shockingly thin and stunningly unathletic in virtually every sport except for basketball. Uh, and even in basketball, it was, I was not terribly good. But uh, I knew how to beat the other team. I just didn't know how to do it, right? So I could organize our team, but I couldn't actually perform the function that was needed. So this, is, this was my life as a child. Uh, and regularly was not picked until the very end or sometimes was overlooked because I would be standing behind someone and you couldn't see me because I was so small. I guess this is what it was. But the idea that we get to partner with God in any type of work to me is just like, I, I got picked, man. Like, this is awesome. There's some engagements and participation that we have here. And not, not just this, but I think there's one more. Uh, the way God combines prayers and God's provision, the Spirit shows how closely human prayers and God's provision are related, right? Because our prayers should be lined up and supporting the work that the Spirit is doing in the world. So when we think about you know, how do we pray for someone, how do we engage in someone's life, well, is it consistent with what God's Spirit is doing? That's a good signal that we're on the right track, Right? It's a good signal. So let's keep going here. So these prayers or petitions and help or contribution. This word for uh, help shows up one other time in the, uh, in the New Testament. It shows up in Ephesians 4.15. So if, you got your, if you have a physical copy of the Bible, like just three pages left maybe. Um, Ephesians 4.15. That can't possibly be right. Yep, 416. There we go. All right. That was close. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. The, the Greek word there that's the same is the word for promotes. What the Spirit is doing is help from the Spirit is a promotion, it's a contribution. We're, we're working in order to further something bigger, right? It's not just, well, there's some random help that, well, I, uh, great. No, 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 it's part of a bigger process, a bigger plan, a bigger effort here. Um, and Paul wrote both of these letters to the Ephesians and the Philippians and 
pretty shockingly similar circumstances. Uh, so we've got prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus. So what are we talking about when we say the Spirit of Jesus? Ooh, that was wrong. Who are we talking about when we say the Spirit of Jesus? Mm, man, just denied a person of the Trinity, his personhood. The Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. I feel like I just gave you the answer, right? That's exactly right, yeah. Uh, so this is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not something, it's not some shadow fourth member of the church. No, this is just the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, in our hyper-structured, organized uh, way of talking about theology, tend to use two and only two terms for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Like that, like virtually all of our modern day writing, like that's how we talk about the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we're like, wait, what? Whoa, dude, like that's not the normal words here. Okay, we got our normal words from looking at all of what the Bible says and then developing standard ways to talk about this so everybody would know what's going on. But this is just one of those, and it's okay. Um, I was talking with Julie. I, I think the next time, Daryl, uh, we have like a free week on Sunday morning and they need somebody to fill in, I'm gonna, I want to teach on the Trinity and the, uh, specifically the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And the title of it will be, uh, Why Pronouns Matter. And it, and it won't be what anybody thinks we're gonna be talking about. <laughs> uh, because I made a mistake when I introduced this and I said, what are we talking about here? And it's not a what, the Spirit's not a what, the Spirit's a who. And when we deny the personhood of the Spirit, we deny the active working of God in our lives. And this is a, it's a real problem. Like it's, it's a real, real problem. So I want to make sure we lean into this concept. All right, so let's do a couple of applications. Sounds like something you ordered Applebee's, right? Uh, applications and personalizations. So application number one at the bottom of page 70. Christians pray for Christians. This, sh this should feel like shockingly simple, right? <laughs> In some ways, not in the grammatical ways, but in some ways, I feel the applications and personalizations in Philippians would be really helpful for, so you met Jesus last week. That's awesome. Let's talk about who he is and how this works. Now, the Greek, no, no, we do not need to do that to people. Like, that would not be loving people kindly. Um, so what's our personalization for this? You had to pick one word. Pray. Pray. Yes, this is really simple. Right? This is not me mailing it in. It's just I think Paul's being really direct here, so. All right, then application number two, God helps Christians, which <laughs> I'm just going to say, what do we do with that? I would say rejoice because do we need help? How often do we need help? Yes. <laughs> like all the time, like whatever every nanosecond is, right? Jesus holds the universe together. The Spirit empowers us for work, and the Father is overseeing and watching his plan unfold flawlessly. Yeah, we need all members of the Trinity at all times. So, prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, does Paul have a view of the church as, uh, I'm out here on my own doing my thing, and y'all do whatever y'all want to do? Is that Paul's view of the church? Not quite. Right. Is it our view of the church sometimes? I think it might be. So Dr. Fee has a good quote here. 
He says, uh, he's talking about Paul, he does not think of the Christian life as lived in isolation from others. Let me just say that again. The Christian life is not lived in isolation from others. He may be the one in prison and headed for trial, but the Philippians and others are inextricably bound together with him through the Spirit. It's a good reminder, right? It's just good little gentle reminders that Paul's dropping that, like, hey, your prayers matter. What the Spirit is doing matters. But he's communicating a lot of theology in just a, sh a few words here with this uh, God's work matters, your work matters, this is good for us to be engaged. Uh, and then he kind he of transitions in verse 20. He says, my eager expectation and hope. And when you hear the word hope, like what do you, like what, what is, you hear the word hope, what comes to mind? Wishfulness, Wishfulness right? Yeah. Like some aspiration, like I hope that happens, that'd be great. Yeah. But it's probably not going to, right? So, so with 30 seconds to go, this is a perfect example, with 30 seconds to go in last night's Tennessee-Georgia game, Tennessee-Alabama game, sorry. I'm still not over the trouncing, okay? Sorry. Tennessee yeah, Tennessee played, yes. Congratulations, Vic, uh, Michigan, you are the victors. Yes, that's right. Um, but with 30 seconds to go in last night's Tennessee-Alabama game, were, was there any hoping going on? You're like, there's a lot of hoping going on, right? There's a, yeah, worship, so you can, whatever you want to call, right? But the Greek word that's translated for us as hope is not the same kind of concept. Like, the Greek concept of hope is rooted in fact. Like, I hope this will occur because I have knowledge about what is going on. Um, this word for eager expectation, Paul uses it in Romans chapter 8. Anybody, anybody like off the top of your head, know what? Uh, there's an eager expectation that's happening in Romans chapter 8. Anybody remember that? It's been a hot minute since we studied Romans. Romans 8, 19, he says, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Right, so this is, there's this anticipation that's built into creation itself. So he's got this anticipation and hope. And the hope, the, the word translated here is for expectation or, what's the next definition on the top of page 72? Confidence. Like there is a confidence that is associated with biblical hope. So let's look at this quote from Fee real quick. As in most cases in the New Testament, hope is full of content in the sense that it reflects the highest degree of certainty about the future. So if I were to say, I place my hope that I hope that Christ is coming again, you could interpret that as like, are you sure then? Like what in the world? If I were to say, I hope that Christ is coming again to Paul, Paul would go, amen because I'm expressing my confidence in this thing. So it's not, a, it's not a like, well, maybe. Yay, it happened, all right. No, 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 it's like I'm declaring this is, this is a true thing. So at the bottom of page 71, sorry, you gotta go back now. <clears throat> application and personalization. So application here, gospel hope is grounded in fact. Gospel hope is grounded in fact. We can have hope... <laughs> in the work of our God, because it is factually based, right? 
our faith, our hope, our confidence, our expectation is not rooted in something that we just have to like, well, maybe it'll work out. It's like, no, these things are, they've happened and they will happen. So what do we do with this? I'm going to encourage you to hope. Hope. It's good. It's good to have hope. So now we go to page 72. All right, so my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed. You're like, can you just, just pause for a second? And what you know about the Apostle Paul, do you feel like him being ashamed is something that you would have thought he'd have been concerned about? Like, not exactly. I mean, we get this idea of the Apostle Paul is this stalwart, this, this, this just amazing proclaimer of the gospel. He goes into towns and he cities and he gets stoned. And at least once he, we think he dies. And they drag him out and he goes in and he does it again. You're like, well, I feel like, you, I feel like you're kind of over your ashamed period of your Christian walk, right? If there ever was one, I'm not sure there was one. He you know, gets blinded on day one. You know, we start off at a pretty quick pace here for the Apostle Paul, right? It was not like a slow ramping up. It was not like the slope of that line went like this, and away you go. Uh, Yes. Good, great question. So what's about to immediately happen to him next? He's waiting to, for what to happen? The trial. He's waiting for the trial to happen. So all of this has, I would argue, two contexts. One is his immediate, like, I will not be ashamed about anything when I'm standing before whomever and am in court, that I will be a good witness, right? And at the end of all things, I will not be ashamed because of what I have placed my confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So um, I don't know, that it, so I will always leave room for, yes, there's some cultural stuff going on, but there are two like giant gorillas in the room with us that I think both of those are probably things I would lean into first. Um, but this was a shame-based culture too, right? I mean, this is a honor and the shame. And if you think about every interaction we had with anybody named Herod in Mark's gospel, pure and unadulterated shame and concern about his reputation and how he was going to be perceived. It was all, it was all politics. It was all like, whoa, I don't know about this. I don't know about this, right? All these crazy things. And uh, I, I think that could be. Uh, so, yes? There was one guard who was about to kill himself out of shame. Was a there you go. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, shame and maybe some fear of a sword coming after him too at some point. So, yeah. But yeah, a tremendously shame-based uh, culture. And some of us may have grown up in these shame-based cultures where if you did something or per- did something that was perceived to be incorrect, there was shame that was associated with you. Uh, I'm not going to quote that right now, by the way. So you're welcome. Um, all right, so my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed. This is a future indicative. So it's a future statement of confidence, but it's a passive you're going to mess me up this morning, <laughs> and I'm going to get you for it later. <laughs> My wife and I have this terrible joke, so this is, I can't discuss this right now. 
You didn't bring it up, but you were snickering, and I knew what you were talking about. So there's that. All right. So it's a future indicative. So he's, he's, he's confident about this, right? He's confident about this. I will not be ashamed, but it's passive. I will, I will not have shame put upon me. So when, when we read this in English, it's super wonky to try to get this right from a translation. Uh, because Paul doesn't want any aspect of his life, either life or death, to bring shame on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Whether it was his doing or done to him, which you think about, that's a broad degree of concern that he's got because of the thing that he values so much, which I think is wonderful. So I will not be, I will be, not, I will not be almost made ashamed about anything. And this word for anything means anything, like nothing, nothing out there. Uh, so at the bottom of page 72, we'll do an application, and we'll wrap the personalization up actually at the bottom of page 73. So it didn't really fit on 72. So application at the bottom of page 72, Christians do not have to be ashamed. My confidence, my hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What do I have to be ashamed about? Christ was made a curse for me on a tree. I wasn't made a curse on a tree. No shame for me. None left. There's no guilt for me. There's no condemnation for me. There's not any sin for me either. Because Jesus dealt with all that too. <laughs> it's like, it's the greatest deal in the history of the universe. It's amazing. So, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now, as always, with all courage, and this word courage is, uh, courage is fine for a translation. Like, do you hear my mild uh, feeling about that? It's fine, right? But the word more literally means outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, publicity, these are things that you would tend to be a little more associated with Paul, right? I mean, Paul didn't mince words. If somebody got the gospel wrong, we're going to go fix that. We're going to address that. We're going to call you out. We're going to make sure we get the gospel right. But his desire is that now is always with all courage, with all frankness, with all bluntness, so that there's nothing in his testimony, either his testimony upcoming or the testimony for the rest of his life, that somebody could look at and go, ooh, man, you made Jesus look bad. That's not good. Right. So what do we do with that? Well, be courageous with the gospel. Bottom of page 73, be courageous with the gospel. And I, I want to lean into something here that I, I don't know that Paul is addressing directly, but I see it in our culture. Um, so this is, when I say be courageous with the gospel, I'm not saying be a jerk with the gospel. Right? I'm not saying uh, like owning a pagan as if we are on some moral high ground. Can we just be really, really clear? Jesus is on the moral high ground. None of us are. Right? So we should really stop expecting pagans to live like Christians because that is not the expectation that we should have for somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. 
Um, and when we share the gospel, this is done out of like, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you something that the message itself is offensive, but I'm going to do everything I can to not be offensive in delivering the message. Like when we look at how Jesus interacted with those who did not believe in him, there was no sense of like, well, y'all better look out because I'm coming. No, 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 not at all, not at all. This is, um, you know, Paul would have viewed his testimony in the Roman court as both being an opportunity to proclaim Christ in the gospel, but also to lay the foundation for others to come along and continue with that message and water and reap the benefits of this. Um, so he's praying for, he's desiring courage. And then the last little phrase, I desire all of this, that I will not be shamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, and here's his point, that Christ will be highly honored in my body. So let's look at this, uh, this word for highly honored. It's also a future passive indicative. So this is something that will be happening in the future that happens to the subject. So this would be something that happens to Christ, because Christ is the subject, that Christ will be highly honored. And the definition here is to make or declare great or to increase. Um, one of my favorite authors, Jared Wilson, uh, Jared C. Wilson, the C matters, because there's another Jared Wilson out there who is not the same like theological camp. Uh, but one of my favorite authors, uh, he, before he preaches, he prays that Jesus would be big. And for a long time, I was like, that's a weird prayer, man. Like, Jesus is already big. Like, what in the world? And I think what he's getting at is this verse, is that he would be able to participate in some declaration of how great Jesus is. That through his actions and his words, others would see, like, oh, wow, like, Jesus is a big deal. That Christ would be highly honored. That Christ would be, be declared to be great. Now, I want to I distinguish the reality that Christ is great. So let's just put an exclamation point at the end of that sentence, like Christ is great. But we can declare him in ways that don't imply that he is, in fact, great. We can talk about him in ways that are like, yeah, he's another guy. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I want, I want people to hear what we do in here and go, wow, Jesus is incredible. Like, that's amazing. Like, if you, if you get finished talking about the gospel and somebody says, boy, that, you are awesome, we have, we've gotten it all mixed up. <laughs> we've gotten it all mixed up. One of the most concerning things that I ever hear is, man, that was a great lesson. So, okay, but did you see Jesus? <laughs> like, did we make him known? Was he as big as he could be through this? Um, so this word, this, this word for highly honored shows up a couple of different places in the New Testament. It's actually only used eight times in the New Testament. It's one of Luke's favorite words. So let's look at, uh, I'm going to look at a few of these real quick. So we got Luke 1, 46. So Luke 1, 46. Did Luke write anything else in the New Testament? He wrote the Gospel of Luke. Did he write anything else? What did he write? He wrote Acts. Yep, that's right. So in Luke's uh, account of uh, the Magnificat, she used a non-Baptisty word here, so don't like throw me out. <laughs> What's the Magnificat? <laughs> Come on, Thesa, help me out. Mary's song of praise, right? When 
when the angel communicates and she's had time to think about this and she goes and visits Elizabeth, Mary responds with this just, I mean, I don't know how long you want to study this, but I, I could probably do 10 weeks on these 10 verses. Like it's just, it's incredible. It's really good. And she starts off with this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And the word magnifies is our word for highly honored. My soul makes the Lord great. My soul declares him to be known. She starts off with, it's not about me. Right? It's just gorgeous. And then she just goes on to really make it clear that it's not about her <laughs> and that it's about the Lord. Uh, the next time, so there's a couple other instances of this word, Acts chapter 5. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, this is in the middle of the signs and wonders. In verse 12, it says, Many signs and wonders are being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 13, No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. That word, that phrase for spoke well. Like, are we speaking well of Jesus? Are my words speaking well of Jesus? Are my actions speaking well of Jesus? In Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 46 is the next one. This is uh, uh, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Luke just throws these little jabs in once in a while. <laughs> He's like, even on the Gentiles, right? For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Declaring the greatness is this idea of highly honored, is making great, making known. And then the last one I'll point out is Acts 19.17. And this one's probably my favorite. Uh, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, this is like the, they, they dealt with the demonic influences in Ephesus. It was a big deal, big influence to their city and their culture and all this stuff. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. There you go. That's it. Like That's what Paul is after. Paul is after going... Do you see my Jesus? Do you see what he is worth? Like I am totally content and rejoicing in prison because of how substantive, how great, how amazing my Jesus is. And when I start focusing on me, I focus less on Christ and I focus way more on my circumstances and my situation and my feelings and me and me and me. And that's not the way this is supposed to work. Right? So Paul was just enamored with Jesus Christ, and he wanted his name to be big. <clears throat> so application from this, uh, Christians can declare Christ to be big. Christians can declare Christ to be big. So what do we do with that? I would say witness faithfully. Right? Witness faithfully. So Christians can declare Christ to be big, so witness faithfully. But we're not finished with this little phrase. He's got just a bit more. 
that Christ will be highly honored where? In my body. And then he says something that's just stunning. Let me paraphrase. And I don't care if my body's dead or alive. Whether by my life or by death. You're wholly committed to a cause, Zeke. When you say, I want this to happen whether I live or die. Whoa. So can you just amend your application just for a second? Christians can declare Christ to be big in our bodies. God gave us a body to do something with, and it is to make him known, to make him great, to declare his greatness. It is not to declare our greatness, but to declare his greatness. Oh, and there's a, there's a heresy running around on Facebook right now. Uh, and C.S. Lewis didn't always get his theology right. And you can stone me later if you want to. But we are not spirits with a body. We are human beings. And human beings have spirits and bodies. And in the new creation, we will have a spirit and a body. So quit dissing on the bodies. All right, you're going to have a body. It's going to be a heck of a lot better than the one we got right now. But you're going to have a body, all right? <laughs> uh, it's not going to hurt. It's going to work properly. It's going to last forever. Uh, can you imagine? I cannot imagine. This is going to be amazing. So quit dissing on the body because that's the thing that Paul wanted to make Jesus known with. So let's not get our theology all backward because our favorite author, and he really is amazing, but he didn't get everything right, so it's okay. Um, he was a writer, not a theologian, so let's just be careful. All right, so we'll end on two quotes. Uh, they're kind of long, but uh, they're just, I run across these sometimes, and it's like, we just got to throw these in because they're just too good. And Bruce writes them all down, so you know, we've got to get these. All right, so the sense. Uh, so the, the result is a sentence, this whole big thing, right? Uh, which reads, which you could paraphrase it this way. This whole affair will turn out to my ultimate salvation and present vindication when, through your prayers and supply of the Spirit of Christ, my earnest expectation and hope are realized at my trial. And not only am I not brought to shame, but in a very open or bold way, Christ is magnified in every way, whether I am given life or sentenced to death. Like, how do I not share this with you, right? I mean, it's just, I, I have no idea what our culture is going to look like in X number of years. I have no idea. There may be a future opportunity for us as believers to be given a choice of life or sentence to death because of our faith. And if we are, I pray that we would take the attitude that Paul has, right? I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful. So one more from Dr. Fee. He just, I don't know where he, he must have really dug in on this particular pericope because it was great stuff. So the heart of everything, of course, is Paul's utter devotion to Christ and his desire that Christ alone be magnified in his life, however present circumstances turn out. I think there's one more, right? Here surely is a word for all seasons if we are also to be effective bearers of the gospel in our day. 
It's beautiful, whether by life or by death. May Christ be big in our lives. Yes, sir. exactly right. It's exactly right. Amen. And gave their bodies for the greatness of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like what, what a beautiful sacrifice. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. All right. Whew. That's been percolating for a while, guys, so I am glad that it is out. I'm glad that we get to move on to verse, uh, oh, no, lost my verse. 21, there we go, right, great, yes, of course, thank you. I don't get lost in the numbers very often, but sometimes I do, so here's that. All right, so you should have a weekly update at your table. Uh, If you would, make sure your name's at the bottom of that, uh, and then flip over on the other side. uh, Update any prayer requests that you've got. would love to be praying for those, those of you online. I still couldn't see any comments today, so I'm sorry if you commented or had a question. Uh, so I'm going to try to figure this out, guys. I apologize for those of you online. But if you guys have any prayer requests, please put those in the comments. We'd love to pray for those as well. Uh, and then once you are finished praying as a table, you are free to go and to worship with your body the one who is worthy of worship with your body, your whole body, whether by life or by death. May Jesus be big. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.